And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Uh, this season of the podcast, we've been focusing on missions in challenging and unique places. And today we're making our way to the continent of Africa. And I'm having a conversation today with a missionary named Jackson. Jackson has been serving on the East Coast of Africa for over a decade in a predominantly Muslim context with his wife and four children. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. Jackson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. We're excited to be here. Excited to share what the Lord's doing here. Why don't we start with uh, just kind of you telling us where you are, giving us an overview of your context, of your culture, your your people group, your environment, all those kinds of things. So, yeah, we live on the east coast of Africa. We work specifically with uh, Muslim fishermen. And so fishermen by trade, predominantly Muslim by religious background. Our country was uh, colonized by the Portuguese. And so the trade language of our country is Portuguese. And uh, yeah, we've, like you said, Paul, we've been here for about uh, 11 years. And uh, yeah, that's that's our area. Awesome. What, what are maybe two or three things, you know, that our listeners may not know about your context and location that might be interesting? Over 500 years ago, the Arabs began a slave trade, and that worked its way down the east coast of of Africa. Obviously, it went across the northern part of Africa as well. But as it came south, our area where we live and work is about as far south as it came. And so our country is almost divided in half by a line. The northern half is Islamic. The southern half is Catholic because of the colonization of the Portuguese. And so our country, if you look at a map, it, uh, again, very Islamic in the north, very Catholic in the south. Another interesting thing and uh, challenging thing, I guess, is is that uh, our country, especially in the north, we have been dealing with a, a large jihadist movement for the past five years. And so that has caused our family to have to flee from where we came to serve. And we're now based a few hours south of where we originally started. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing some of that. Now, Jackson, I know we mentioned in the beginning that you've been there for over a decade, but you were not born there. So maybe give us some of the backstory mm, on how you yeah. actually, how did you get there? How did you and your family make your way to the Eastern coast there in Africa? So I was in university. I was a resident assistant, played soccer for my university, and uh, I loved international students. And so ever since I had come to to faith. I had just had this interest in cultures and on the soccer team, we had guys from all over the world. And so I just was always very interested in international students. And so the university contacted me once as an RA, I had my own room and they said, we have a student coming from overseas. We need a place to put him for two weeks until we can get a room for him. And so I went to soccer practice. I came home and when I walked into the hallway of my dorm room, 
I walked down and on the right hand side, there was a, a bathroom and uh, there was a man sitting on the corner or sitting on the counter with his hands and feet in the sink. And so I didn't pay much attention. I walked into kind of the commons area and there was this very fancy rug that was spread out on the ground. And this man came out. He did not greet me. He just kneeled down on his rug and he he began to pray. And that man ended up living for me with the entire year. He was from Yemen. And the Lord used that year of my life to really begin a call to work with Muslim peoples. And so my wife and I, that following summer, we met in the Amazon. So we went to on a like a summer two, three month trip and we met there. The following summer we got married and we began the process shortly after that, started seminary, did the two plus three. For us, we knew it was the Muslim world. And so we we started heading towards Yemen. We were gonna work with a Muslim fisher group that was on the coast of, of Yemen and the Arab Spring started. And so at that point, they encouraged us to look at other possibilities. And one of those possibilities was working with Muslim fishermen on the coast of Mozambique. And so very different. And then at the same time, both desperately need the gospel. Mm. And so it was, uh, that was really how it started and, and how we, we got here and not our plan and not necessarily even on the map for us initially. And yet we are very certain that we are walking in the Lord's will and that this is where he has called us. And so, yeah, thanks for walking us back through some of that background and giving us some of the the context there. You know, now that you've been there now for, for many years, uh, I would love to ask you, Jackson, what is it about this place that makes it so special to you? The thing that makes it special is the same thing that makes it challenging, and that's the people. We love the people. We have deep relationships with the people. There is a a connection, you know, that the Lord has formed, knitted our hearts to them in some way is what makes this place unique. You know, when you first start the process with the company, it's like, you know, you see these maps and there's like these colored dots on the map. And it's like those dots you know, red or whatever, and they rep, they represent a people group. And, you know, as you move to the place, that dot on a map becomes faces and people that you, you know, you love dearly and you live life with and, you know, are there for you and you walk through hardships and, and you are there with them and in their suffering as well. And so it's, that is what makes this place special to us is, is definitely the people. And then on the other side of that, that's what makes it challenging. Because it's, <laughs> People are challenging, you know? Yeah, that's good. I I appreciate the way you laid that out, just talking about your love for the people. And you did, you kind of segued into my next question, which is obviously you you love it there. You believe the Lord has led Mm -hmm. you there for a reason, for a purpose. And yet at the same time, there are challenges that are there. So can you describe for us a little bit about what makes this context a challenging place to do ministry? So one, there is just generations and generations of distrust. And so the young generations, they are brought into a schools called the madrasas. So they are very, in our area, they're very anti-government schools of, of any form. And so they go to the madrasa, which is a school that is to form young children in the ways of Islam. And so they, you know, they learn about the Quran. But in our area specifically, the madrasa is very much dedicated towards Islamic apologetics. And so they are taught how to refute Christianity. 
they teach them how to take one verse way out of context and to basically use that passage of, of scripture in a way that is, again, it's out of context, but it's also dishonest. It's manipulative. And, and so we encounter young men and women that are, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, and they've been trained that Christianity is the enemy, that we're the enemy. And so I, I remember one of our first Easter's in our town on that Sunday morning, we were sitting out in our yard as a family. You know, there were no believers there with us at that time. And so we were sitting out in our yard as a family at sunrise. And as the call to prayer came on, they announced over the loudspeaker of at the mosque, which was just, you know, 100 yards from us, that if anyone today was to share with you that Jesus died and that he rose, they are liars, that he did not die and that he did not rise, raise again. And so that has been, you know, just sets a, a barrier in the hearts of the people that we're, we're working with and what makes it difficult. And yet the way that the Lord has given us favor and access to this people is this people. So what's difficult again is the they're anti-government schools. So they learn things of Islam, but the illiteracy level in our area is extremely high. And so these young men, women, they get to 18, 19, 20, and they know a little bit about Islam, but they essentially have nothing to offer society. They're unskilled, they're uneducated, and that's not to be derogatory. That's just the reality of what they live in. And so what we did as a family is we started a formation school. And so that school is very much geared towards skills training. It's it's geared towards coming into the to the community, identifying something that they see as valuable, and then helping them learn uh, skills that's beneficial to their life. And so we targeted that young group, kind of the 18 to 30 range was kind of our initial engagement strategy. And, and man, we just, we gained trust. They saw us as teachers. They saw us as people that and so, you know, one of our students, his father passed away. And when his father passed away, we were asked to participate in the funeral, which I had never been invited to participate in any of the community events really prior to that. And so uh, I'm invited not just to come to the home, but to, to then go to the graveside. And so then we're standing at the graveside and they, they ask, you know, teacher, do you have anything you'd want to share with us? And so at that point, moment, you know, I was able to share the truth of the gospel with all these men that were, were there. And again, in a gracious way, in a, you know, not in a harsh way as they're, you know, they're mourning the death of a father. But, but at the same time, it was that entry has really, really just given us an, an identity uh, in that community. And so that, that is, I think, one of the hardest. And then just the second point to that is that's where the jihadists have Prayed off of. They've come in after these young men that are vulnerable and exploited them essentially. And so they've prayed off of them. They send in micro SD cards recruiting them to come and join their efforts and they'll have peace with Allah and, you know, all these things. And so these young guys and girls that feel like they have no hope, they've gone, many of them have gone to join this movement because of that. And so that's been the, the two biggest challenges, I would say, that we have faced and the biggest obstacles to the gospel. The Great Commission is a call to go, and a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. 
It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. I appreciate you sharing some of the, just transparently about, yeah, what what some of those challenges are, what some of those difficulties look like as you're trying to minister there. I want to get to the more positive side of the question in a second. Here's some things that the Lord is doing. Before we get there, I would love for you just to tell us kind of what life looks like for you and for your family. So, man, as you said at the beginning, Paul, I have an incredible teammate. My wife is, man, so we, again, we met in the Amazon, uh, seeing each other in the very worst. You know, we were out in the bush and it was tough times in the sense of, of, but I saw a woman that just was a servant of the Lord that was not concerned with the things of the world. And, and so she is just an incredible partner for the work here. And so anyway, we we very much labor side by side. We do homeschool. So our our four children, all four of them are, are in school. And so we, the way we do ministry is there are days I go, there are days she goes, and then there are days we go together. And so she is very active, has a great group of, of women that she's teaching and has discipled. And, and then there are days when we're going out to minister to families or to visit people and we're all going you know all six of us and so for us life here is you know our kids don't know really anything different you know they were all born here or came as our oldest came as an infant and so and so really our children have not known much different my daughter the last time we were on stateside assignment we were like leaving our our last sunday at our sending church and we walked out and, you know, it was an emotional moment. We had just said goodbye to people we love again, you know, for the third time. And so we'd said goodbye to them and we were walking in the parking lot. And I said, Penley, are, are you excited to go back to Mozambique? Or are you sad? And she goes, Dad, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back. And I said, okay, well, what, what are you excited about? And she said, Dad, I'm just so tired of wearing shoes. <laughs> I just, I'm so tired. <laughs> so our children have great friends. They speak the language, you know, the language here. And so they love it here. It's it's home for them. And so there's two really key things that the Lord's taught us. And one of those is during the season of the jihads, when they attacked our town the first time, and then when we fled the second time, we had been living in this season of like we were consistently just every night hearing of another village being attacked. You know, we were people were fleeing. It was just a very hard season. And one of the things the Lord just really taught us here in that season was we were studying through the book of Daniel and we were struggling a bit with anxiety and fear. You know, we were going to bed at night, like, and we were asking the question, well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And we got to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, crazy story that we, you know, share, we were studying with our children and we saw Abednego's response, you know, our God can save us, our God will save us, but even if, and the Lord just prompted us in that season, stop asking what if, and just live in the even if, even if this happens, the character of God is the same. It doesn't move. It doesn't change. He, if the worst thing that we can imagine was to take place, even if that was to happen, the character of God, who he is, is 
consistent with what we have known and seen throughout history. And so we can trust him and we can rest in that. And so that that lesson for us as a family has just, again, it's just been, but I think the other one is just raw faith. You know, this is, you know, Christianity as we grew up seeing it was, is one thing, but when you're under a tree and there's just a couple of believers in this town of thousands and thousands, and there's, you know, very few believers and you're under a tree and you experience the presence of God more or, or, you know, as, you have anywhere else in the world, you just realize that my faith has never been in the forms of Christianity. My faith is fixed on on the one who has called me to himself. That's good. I appreciate you sharing some of that. I'd love for you to share with us, you know, briefly, what is the Lord doing? How is he at work? How are you encouraged in some of the things that you're seeing? I think one of the greatest things for us is, you know, we have seen by God's grace, we have seen people respond to the truth of the gospel. Some of those through dreams, some of those through just divine things, you know, things that we um, can't, uh, yeah, really even explain, you know, but but in the end, Paul, I think for us, what we're seeing right now is we're starting to see those, a lot of those first guys and those couples that came to faith early on, and you're seeing them now going, you're seeing them now leading new groups of believers, you're seeing them sharing the gospel, you're seeing so for us, I think what we're seeing right now is we're seeing after, you know, 10 or 11 years, we're just starting to be in a, in a place more of, of training the people that are going. And we still very much get to participate in that. But when you witness a God come to faith and then you walk with him for years, mentoring, discipling, training, investing, and then you see him beginning to go and you start to meet his disciples and you begin mm-hmm. to, there's just nothing greater, I don't think, in the world than that. And so what we're seeing right now, we're seeing a, another, like just in these current days, there's a, a new church plant that we're, we're working with that uh, he is, the guy that's leading it is the younger brother of our first believer in our former town. And so the brother came to know the Lord, was heavily persecuted by his family, including the younger brother. And then just through a dramatic turn of events in the course of him fleeing because of the the unrest, the Lord just got a hold of him. And, and so we ended up in the same town as we fled. And uh, he was just looking for hope. He was struggling to understand how his religion that he had always thought to be peaceful was violent. And just was struggling to make sense of those things. And so the Lord, through that connection to his older brother, brought us together. And, you know, now he is, this is five years ago now, but he is four years ago now. And he's now leading this new group of believers and discipling them well and teaching the word of God with care and and being cautious with the way he handles the word of God. and, And yet a faithful evangelist as well. And so... Those are the things that are exciting, you know. Well, praise the Lord, man. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. It's always encouraging to hear Amen. the ways yeah. that the Lord is yeah. accomplishing his mission, his purpose around the world. And uh, yeah, thank Amen. you for your faithfulness Amen. there. I want to shift to some lightning round, kind of quicker hitting kind of questions next. So would love to hear you tell me what you think it takes to be a faithful missionary in extreme or difficult context. Well, first one is just the grace of God, right? I mean, there's, he keeps us here. So the grace of God. And then I would just say another one is just intimacy with him, you know, just consistent 
constantly pushing into his presence and walking with walking with him. And I think for us, just been the the key components is, is his grace keeps us here. And then that intimacy with him sustain us, sustains us as we as we serve him here. The next question you can take in kind of a serious or in kind of a funny direction, kind of however you want to take it, (laughs) the craziest and most shocking thing that you have seen or experienced. I mean, you could start with food, you know, food that you've had to eat. One of, you know, I've been served a skewered rat, you know, which was really exciting. The first time that I was brought in, went to visit someone and and, uh, they were you know, they brought me into this room to serve me a, a serve me lunch, and you know they took the little top off the bowl, and there were just four or five rats that had just been charred on a stick. And so the food one, everyone shares those stories, but definitely we've had to eat some challenging things, and so you never know what's going to be in the bowl when they open it up for you to eat it. Those are definitely challenging and exciting moments. I think. One of the things that we see here a lot too, that is, so there are those, you know, like a Greyhound bus. And so those buses are all over this continent, especially the Southern part of this continent. And those, those buses fly. I mean, they don't obey the speed limit, but one of the things that I think surprised us the most when we first arrived was how fast those buses would drive. But then you would look on top and there would be a herd of goats that they had tied to the top of this bus to take from one city to the next. And so you see these goats standing up on this, you know, this large bus as it's flying down the road at what feels like 100 miles an hour. So yeah, those are definitely some experiences. And then a spiritual one, you know, uh, one serious one, Paul, and I know is we had a lady that was dying of HIV and AIDS, and she was deathly ill, and they mark your gate so everyone knows that you have this sickness. And Anyway, she was a Muslim lady, but had not had anyone in her yard or to visit her in six years because she had this stigma around her. And so our group of body of this body of believers who had started to say they're like, you know what, we feel like we need to have our own spots. So they had like started setting aside money to buy and build a small little structure for us to gather and worship. And this lady, when we met her brother, it just sucked us in. And so the group started going and we had a food schedule. So we were going every day and we were caring for her. The women were going and bathing her. It was crazy, but she eventually made a profession of faith and and a cyclone came through and wiped her house out. And when her house got wiped out, the group that had been raising all this money, one of the guys said, do we continue to save and put this aside for this structure or should we rebuild this woman's home? And the, you know, the group was unanimous. We rebuilt her home, which was, you know, a great moment, but about two months after we rebuilt her home, she passed. In our community, if you are a Christian, which she had become a Christian, Muslims can't transport or, or transport the body. And so it was a huge ordeal trying to get this body to the cemetery. And this Shehe, this Muslim leader in our community, he had heard about how we had cared for this woman. He showed up. He forced someone from the community to come and transport the body. And he then called the entire community to come to the graveside, which was unheard of. You know, it was crazy. But but anyway, in that day, you know, we had a brother stand up, share the gospel with hundreds of people that had been forced to come to this, all because this group of believers had just cared so well for this woman. And so that, to me, is one of the craziest 
I think, stories that we have is just seeing that unconditional love and how mm. that impacted this man so much that he forced an entire community to come mm. and remember her on her day of burial. And wow. so, yeah, that's a, definitely a strong, strong testimony. What is one thing that you wish you knew before you arrived? You know, when I first came, I, I thought I was God's gift to this people. <laughs> you know, I was like, I sound very arrogant now, but, you know, I was young and, and arrogant, I guess, when I first came to the field, probably. And so, you know, when I when I first came, I just I, I think I thought I knew a lot more than than what, you know, now I feel like I know less today than what I did when I first came to the field. You know, I just feel like I thought I knew everything and had all the answers. And so, yeah, I think one of the things I wish I knew when I arrived was just how to ask better questions and not, I think that there are so many faithful men and women that have come and served before us that have walked through experiences. And I wish I would have just known how to seek out wisdom more and just ask better questions versus just thinking that I, I think I could have saved myself a lot of headaches and just heartache too, if I would have just slowed down and sought wisdom from older, wiser men that had come before me. And so I would say that's a a big thing that I wish I would have I've known before I came. Is there a, a resource that you might point people to who wanted to learn more about your your work, your context? Is there a book, a, a video, a movie, a web link, something that you might refer to people who want to learn more about you and the work you're doing and where you're doing it? There's two books, one called The Seeking All of Finding Jesus. It's a probably a fairly well-known book in most circles, but the reason I like that book so much is because it's written from a former Muslim's perspective, and he the way he addresses basically the worldview towards Christianity stepping, you know, as a former Muslim, I think it just causes us to like really take a step back and, and understand like how strong that worldview is. It, it is a religion, but there's a worldview that's tied to that religion. And I just, I felt like that book just really does a great job for anyone that would be going to work in a Muslim context. For us, there's a book called The Trellis and the Vine. And The Trellis and the Vine is I would say just a great resource on discipleship. And so we really appreciate that. That book has been really helpful for us as we just approach what it means to really invest well in people and equip people. So that book has been, I think, impactful for us as a family and, and us in the work here as we've just wanted to know what it means to to take people deep and prepare them for what God is calling them to. Jackson, last question. How would you encourage people who are working in difficult environments? What would you say to them? I would encourage you, one, to just have a good accountability partner. I have a a brother that serves in another place very similar to where we are. We speak every Friday morning at 5 a.m. and and we just pray together. And that he has full disclosure to ask me any difficult question he wants to ask me. And and uh, at the same time, he knows well what we're walking through because he's walking through similar things. And so I would just encourage you to find a someone to just hold you accountable. And then lastly, my mentor said this to me when I so good. He just said, you know, everywhere you go, look for a younger man to invest in and an older man to invest in you. And so I would just encourage you wherever you are to find people that you can pour your life into. And then just remember that there are other people that have a ton more wisdom than you you do. And so find 
people that can pour into your life as well. And then lastly, I would just say, know the culture and love your people. Love the people is, is easier some days than others. But if you just are there to get through the day and just retreat back to a place and you're not really there amongst the people. Yeah, I just I, I love looking at the gospels and how Jesus like just looking at like the action verb that follows his name and like Jesus, you know, passed by Jesus. It, it just you just see that he was consistently out with the people. And so I would just really challenge you like the more that you're with them, yeah, it's going to frustrate you at times, but the deeper your love is going to become for them. And so I would challenge you to find ways in which you you can just be be out with your people and learn and and watch and and see how they they live. And so those are a few things. Jackson, thank you so much for your your time and for the conversation today. Absolutely, brother. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.